Our passage today is Nahum 1 through 3, and it reads this. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The scatterer has come up against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength. For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The shield of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day he musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets. They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches. They dart like lightning. He remembers his officers. They stumble as they go. They hasten to the wall. The siege tower is set up. The river gates are opened. The palace melts away. Its mistress is stripped. She is carried off, her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or of the wealth of all precious things. Desolate, desolation and ruin. Hearts melt and knees tremble. Anguish is in all loins. All faces grow pale. Where is the lion's den, the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion and lioness went, where his cubs were, with none to disturb? The lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lionesses. He filled his caves with prey and his dens with torn flesh. 
Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betray nations with her whorings and people with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart a sea and, her, and water her wall? Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If they shake, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the siege, strengthen your forts, go into the clay, tread the mortar, take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you, the sword will cut you off, it will devour you like the locust. Multiply yourselves like the locust, multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants more than the stars of the heavens, the locust spread its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers, your scribes like clouds of locusts, settling on the fence in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Syria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? All right. Good morning, everybody. Kids, can you guys raise your hands up? All right. So my first question for you is, who can tell me what a sequel is? What do you think, Eleanor? Okay, so if you read a book, and then if you read the sequel, the sequel is kind of like what happens after the book. Okay, so what do you think makes a good sequel or a bad sequel? What do you think, Olivia? So a bad sequel makes bad things happen, a good sequel makes... Good things happen. So in the first place, you read the first book, and let's say, you know, you meet all these characters, and you're like, hey, these are great characters. I really like these people. And then you get to the sequel, 
and all those characters die. Is that a good sequel or a bad sequel? Bad sequel, sequel, right? But what if in the the sequel instead, like, they all, you know, do cool things, and it's kind of like the first book, only a little bit better? Is that a good sequel or bad sequel? Good sequel. Good sequel. All right. The reason why we're talking about this is because the book of Nahum, which Alyssa just read for us, is, is kind of like a sequel to the book of Jonah. All right, who, who remembers Jonah? All right, what did, what did Jonah do? Jaron? He got swallowed by a fish. Why did he get swallowed by a fish? Lucy? Because it was a huge fish. That's right, Liam? Because he was running away from God, all right? Why was Jonah running away from God? What did God want Jonah to do? Ethan? He didn't want to tell the people about God. That's absolutely right. The people that he didn't want to tell about God were the people of Nineveh. Nahum is talking about Nineveh. And what happened is, so Jonah, right, he didn't want to go tell the people about God, and so he ran from God, then he gets eaten by the fish, then the fish pukes him up on the beach, and then God tells him again, hey, Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh, and that time Jonah actually goes to Nineveh, and he he walks through Nineveh, and he preaches the good news that if the people will repent and and turn from their sin and turn to God, then God will, will spare them and not send judgment upon them, and that's what happens. The people hear Jonah's preaching, they respond, they repent, they turn from their sin, they turn towards God. God, and God doesn't send judgment on Nineveh. But what we find out from the book of Nahum is bad news. Sometime after Jonah, the people of Nineveh decided they didn't want to follow God. They wanted to stay in their sin, and so they rejected him and rebelled against him, and so then God sends judgment, and that's what we read about in the book of Nahum. So Nahum is, is kind of a bad sequel, right? Because those, those people get that judgment poured out on them. Um, so, kids, I would encourage you to, to go home and talk to your parents about, about what we can learn from this book about who God is, that our God is a God who's, who's slow to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love, who shows mercy, but that he's also a God who, who doesn't clear the guilty. Uh, we need to repent of our sin. We need to trust in him in order to find forgiveness. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll get into this passage together this morning. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word to to reveal to us who you are and what you've done for us as your people, and to to make it known to us who we are, that that we are a people who are are in need of forgiveness, people who are broken and who who are without hope, without you. We thank you that you did send Jonah to preach good news, to to, to give the people of Nineveh an opportunity to repent. And we're also thankful that you are just and that you hold people accountable when they don't turn from their sin and turn towards you. So we pray that you would send your spirit to to help us this morning as we seek to learn more about about who you are, about what you've done, about how we should respond to your word uh, from the book of Nahum this morning. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So, 
We're over halfway through the Minor Prophets now, and uh, I don't know, I don't know if you've felt this way, like I have certainly felt this way, but that there have been times where it's, it's kind of like it's, it's the same thing week after week after week, right? Like the, the passage that read changes, but, but mostly it's, all right, this is lots of bad news, but then like some, some good news too, like pr- pretty much every week that's, that's kind of what it feels like. Well, the good news is that this week is different. It's, it's not really like that. Instead of being mostly bad news and, and some good news, this passage is like all bad news. <laughs> right? There's like one verse, may, maybe two, that's like good news for other people, but it's, it's just, it's pretty bleak, right? It's also different in that this is a book that kind of like follows up on a, a minor prophet that we talked about earlier. So uh, Jonah, which we talked about with the kids, Jonah was prophesying around, around 760 BC, uh, and uh, Nineveh re- repents in that, but Nahum is about 100 years later. We know this because in, in uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, it talks about the fall of, of Thebes. Uh, that happened around like 664, 663 BC. Nineveh was conquered by, by the Babylonians and the Medes around 612. So sometime between 664, 663 and 612, that's when Nahum's prophecy was written. And based on some other events, it's probably like 660 to 630. So like 100 to 130 years after the book of Jonah is the book of Nahum. And this is, this is sad news. Right? Because Jonah, like, despite Jonah's attitude at the end of the book, like, it, it kind of ends on a high note. Right? It's, it's kind of like the bright spot in the Minor Prophets. This guy who doesn't want to go, goes and he preaches, but the people respond, they, they repent, and then God doesn't send the judgment. But at some point, he does. Right? We, we want people to respond in repentance. We want people to have their relationship with God restored like we see in the book of Jonah as, as the Ninevites respond. But it's clear from the book of Nahum that their repentance didn't stick. It, it didn't last. It wasn't real. Uh, Fifteen years or so after the book of Jonah, there's this king named, named Tiglath-Pileser who, who rises up in power and he leads Assyria to, to military dominance in the region. And it was a particularly cruel and, and violent campaign as they oppressed pretty much all the other nations around them. Mistreated their people, killed them, carried them off into exile. This is where the northern kingdom of Israel is, is wiped out and kind of carted off. And so Nahum is the book where we see Assyria held accountable for their actions. So what happens here in the passage Alyssa read is that the, the first chapter is kind of like a, a prelude to the action. It's kind of where God announces what he's going to do uh, and, and, and why. And then the next two chapters are, are the battle that's going to take place in Nineveh. And so the first verse, it tells us that this is the vision of this guy named Nahum of Elkosh. And it's an oracle about Nineveh. So it tells us who's, who's speaking and, and what he's talking about. And then he just jumps right into telling us about who God is. He says he's a jealous and avenging God. So God cares about his people. He cares about how they're treated. And he cares about his, his name. He, he defends and he upholds his honor and his people. And Assyria, in particular, have defamed his name and harmed his people. And so they're going to be held accountable. They're going to find out that he is a wrathful God who takes vengeance on his enemies. 
He's slow to anger, Nahum says, but, but that does not mean that he clears the guilty. He says that his way is in the whirlwind and storm, that the clouds are the dust of his feet. And this is important because nations like Assyria often connected the weather to the false gods they worshipped. And so Nahum here is making it clear that, that the Lord, Yahweh, he is the one who's in control of these things. He, he rebukes the sea. He, he makes it dry. He dries up rivers and fields and forests. Mountains quake and hills melt before him. He, he reigns over everything. He asks, who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? And the answer is, is no one, right? If, if he is in control of all these things, if, if mountains quake before him, what, what are people? says that his wrath is poured out like fire. Rocks are broken into pieces by him. But look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Right, this is a sign of God that, that the Assyrians experienced in the book of Jonah. Right, he's, he's good to his people. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Him ruling over everything, right? Him being in charge of creation. Him having power over everything. Him being great in power. That is, that's great news for his people, right? If our God controls everything, that's good news for us. But it's terrible news for his enemies. That's why verse 8 starts with but. But with an overflowing flood. So, so floods are already overflowing, but, but this one is a, is a particularly unstoppable, insurmountable, kind of over-the-top flood. He will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. So this is Assyria's fate, regardless of what they do, regardless of what they plot, regardless of their military might, God is going to make a complete end of them. They're not going to be given a second chance at this point. He says that they're like entangled thorns, so that they're, 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 they're like unfreeable. They're like drunkards as they drink. There's, there's no turning back for them. They're like fully dried stubble. Once the match is struck, that fire is not getting put out. They have plotted against God, and now the nation is going to bear the consequences. The Lord speaks in verse 12. He says, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. So this is directed at the, the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom is already gone. But the southern kingdom is still being oppressed by Assyria. And so the Lord is announcing to them, hey, I'm going to deal with Assyria. And then you're going to be okay for a while. To Assyria, he says, No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. So at the end of chapter 1, there, there's this, this kind of tiny bit of good news for the people of Judah. This kind of glimmer of hope. He's saying that uh, there's going to be a lot of peace for them once Assyria has been eliminated as a threat. Then they'll be able to worship again. They'll have peace again. They'll have some prosperity again. They can celebrate with their feasts and fulfill their vows to the Lord because Assyria is going to be cut off. And then in chapter 2, the battle begins. The, the people of Assyria are told to prepare for battle, collect their strength, because the Lord is restoring the majesty of Israel and Jacob. He's avenging his people. This is why he's taking this action, on behalf of his name and on behalf of his people. 
He talks about the, the scatterer. This is a reference to the people who are ultimately going to defeat Nineveh. That's the, the Babylonians and the Medes. He says that their shields, their clothes, they're permanently stained red with the blood of their enemies. They're ready for war. They, they quickly mobilize for, for battle. They move to the wall. They set up siege towers. The, the gates are open. The palace melts away. The, the city is quickly pillaged and plundered. It says there's no end of the treasure and wealth that's taken from the city. Right? As Assyria has gone out and like captured all these places and, and plundered all these places, they're bringing all of that wealth back to their capital. And now their capital is being conquered and all that wealth is getting taken somewhere else. Verse 10 says, desolate, desolation and ruin, hearts melt, knees tremble, anguish in all loins, all faces grow pale. They thought that they were invincible. They thought that they were invulnerable, but they find out firsthand just how all of those nations that they had conquered felt. They thought that they were safe and protected, but now they're going to be wiped out. This is possible because of verse 13. It says, the Lord is against them. He's pouring out judgment on them for their actions. And so they're going to be cut off from the earth. Chapter 3 begins, Woe to the bloody city, full of lies and plunder and prey. So the battle is, is raging in the city. It says that char- horses are, are charging, swords are flashing, spears are, are glittering, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. Think about the contrast between this picture and like what happened in, in Jonah. Right? So Jonah talks about how the city, you know, was, was, was just massive. It took him time to, to travel across it. And so Jonah is, is going through the city. He's, he's preaching the good news that the people have an opportunity to repent and be spared judgment. So he's going through, you know, marketplaces and, and city squares and residential districts. And it's, and it's peaceful because the people are safe and protected because Assyria is on top. But now it's just chaos and and bloodshed and devastation as God is raining down judgment on Assyria for their rejection of him. Judgment has fallen because of their idolatry. It's described in in figurative language in verse 4. It says, And for all the, the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and people with her charms. So the Assyrians, they, they not only worship false gods themselves, but they also, as they oppressed nations, led them astray after their own gods. And so they're held accountable for their actions here as God pours out judgment on them. It says that the Lord is against them. He's going to humiliate them. He's going to treat them with contempt. He's going to really treat them in the way they tra- treat, treated all the nations that they oppressed. It says that no one will grieve for them. No one will comfort them. This is likely due to the fact that all the nations around them are people that they did these things to. So no one is going to weep over them. Verse 8, where it talks about the fall of Thebes, it's kind of answering the, the objection that would have been raised in the minds of any of the Ninevites. Right? They thought, we're safe. We're, we're invulnerable. No one can take us down. We're on top. And so Nahum points to Thebes and says, they thought they were safe. They thought they were protected. They thought no one could take them down. But verse 10, Thebes was conquered and its people were killed and and taken off into exile. Nineveh now is going to face that same fate. It says that their fortresses are ripe for the taking. 
All of the citizens are going to have to stand and fight, but, but the gates are going to be wide open to their enemies. No matter how they, 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 they prepare, no matter how they, they strengthen their forts, they are going to be devoured by fire and cut off by the sword. It says that all their leaders flee. The shepherds are asleep. The nobles are asleep. The people are going to be scattered on the mountains. There's going to be no comfort, no healing for their wounds. And to top it all off, He says that everybody who hears the news is going to clap their hands. People are going to rejoice at the fall of Nineveh because everybody's been hurt by Assyria. This is is bleak. It's It's a terrible, terrifying account of what happens to Nineveh. So the question is, what do do we do with this, right? We're, We're not Nineveh. I think that, first of all, it depends on who we are, right? If, if we're people who've, who've trusted in Jesus, who've put our faith in him, right, then we have repented. We have turned from our sins. We know that that's not like a, a one-time thing, like the Ninevites repented at Jonah's preaching, but they needed to keep repenting. And so if you're somebody who's, who's never started repenting, then you should realize that, that you are under judgment just like Nineveh was under judgment. And for a God who's in control of everything, that's not a place we want to be. So if that's who you are, I would encourage you to talk to someone today before you leave about, about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, about what it means to, to repent of your sins, to turn from your sin and turn toward God, to, to walk in relationship with him. If you're somebody who has done that, uh, then I think this passage should, should help us remember who our God really is. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it says this. It says, He is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God sent Jonah to Nineveh because this is who he is. Right? He, he actually made him go because this is who he is. He sent him to proclaim good news so that the people could avoid judgment, so that he could forgive them for their sins and their, and their rebellion against him. Right? They repented, and then God didn't punish them. Our God is merciful and gracious. He does forgive, and praise God, that's who he is. But Exodus 34 keeps going. It also says which Nahum talks about, he will by no means clear the guilty. This this is what we see happening in this book. We kind of get two sides of the same coin with Jonah and Nahum. As he gives them a chance to repent, and they repent. But then when they return back to their sin, he's not a God who will clear the guilty. And so he pours out judgment on them. The Assyrians were guilty. And God poured out just judgment upon them. And so this reality should cause us to to marvel at the fact that God has given us a chance to repent, that that there is a way of repentance for us. It should also motivate us outward toward reminding people of the good news that we can repent, that there is an opportunity, and also warning them about the judgment that's going to happen if they don't. And our God is merciful and gracious, but he will by no means clear the guilty. So the way we get our name cleared is by trusting in Jesus so that he can pay our penalty for us. Right? So this book, 
should remind us of who our God is. That he is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. But he's also just. And he punishes sin. Because that's who he is. So let's pray and we'll continue to celebrate the reality that this is our God in the service. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are merciful and gracious. And also that you won't clear the guilty. But yet you've, you've given us an opportunity to have our guilt cleared by Jesus. And so we pray that you would, you would send your spirit to to convict sin in us so that we would turn from our sin and, and turn toward you in Christ. I pray that you would press upon us the importance, not, not of our own repentance, but also the repentance of those around us so that we would be motivated outward with the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. How we pray that our, our story and, and the story of those that we're in relationship with would be the story of the Ninevites in the book of Jonah and not the story of the Ninevites in the book of Nahum. How we pray that you would continue to, to move in us and amongst us this morning as we continue in worship. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.